Amen. That was, that was wonderful. Um, if you have a Bible, if you want to open up to Jonah chapter 4 with me. Uh, if anyone, does anyone not have a Bible, we'd like to put one in your hands as well. I think I don't see any hands. Just want to open God's Word together. If you want to turn to Jonah chapter 4, we'll be there in a moment. Uh, we read from the ESV at our church if you're getting it on your, on your phone as well. And uh, for those who have been with us, I don't know about you, I, I love the book of Jonah. And uh, d- truthfully, though, as a preacher, like every book that you're preaching from, you're like, I think this is my favorite book uh, at this moment. Uh, I love, I, like, I, I just love the way the, the book of Jonah is crafted. And truthfully, I, I, um, I thought it was about something else. I thought it was about Jonah, and I thought it was about this giant fish. And uh, it actually hasn't been at all. Um, and, and so that has been uh, amazing what God has been teaching me through this book. Um, it's almost like, you know, having a book, someone giving you a book, and you're like, you're reading it upside down. Someone's like, it's supposed to go this way. You're like, oh, that now, now it actually makes sense. That's what it's been like going through the book of Jonah. Like someone gives you maybe a, a pair of binoculars and you have them backwards. And you're like, yeah, can you see that bird on the tree? You're like, I don't, it's like really, really far away. No, it's, you turn it around. You're like, oh, now you see things clearly as you're supposed to. That's what it's been like for me. I don't know about you going through the book of Jonah. I'm like, it's actually not about Jonah. It's not about the fish. It's actually about God's great mercy. And what the book of Jonah is supposed to do, it's supposed to, like, as we look at Jonah, as we look at God, we're supposed to kind of see ourselves. Are we more like Jonah? Disobedient, running from the Lord? Wanting justice? Or are we, are we like God? Mercy. Mercy for the wicked, for those who would turn and repent. And it, I think it's actually supposed to grab hold of us. It's supposed to expose our hearts. And I pray God would continue to do that uh, in us today. So that's what God's been doing in, in my life. I pray it continues to. We're going to look at Jonah chapter 4 together. If you want to stand with me, I'll start reading in 3 verse 10. This is the Ninevites in response to Jonah's message of yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, starting in 3 verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is, is this Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, Jonah 
or sorry, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. I've titled this message, Justice Versus Mercy. And I see that just in between the conversation between Jonah and God. But before going on any further, again, I'd like to seek the Lord in prayer if you'd like to bow with me. Oh God, it's been a a joy already to sing uh, songs to your name. Uh, Now as we open up your word, I pray, uh, Holy Spirit, you'd speak through me. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, use your word to do your work in our hearts and in our lives. I pray you would open up our ears soften our hearts. I pray you'd rob us just from the distractions of the past week, what's coming in the future, Lord. Give us ears to hear, and I just pray, oh Lord, that you would speak through me uh, to minister to us. Lord, we, we trust your word does not return to you void, but we're trusting you, Lord, that you would speak. So I pray you would just use uh, your servant now uh, to give glory to your name. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, looking at uh, Jonah chapter four, verses one to four, I want us to see really this comparison, God's heart versus Jonah's, or God's character versus Jonah's. It's amazing, just as we look at at 3.10, it says of the people that when God saw what they did, like they repented, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it, and somehow, That happening, and then 4 verse 1, Jonah gets it. Jonah gets it like God's turning from the the destruction that he was about to bring upon the Ninevites. Jonah sees it. And just again, to put it in perspective, to think about this, remember Jonah, who is given this message of like, go to Nineveh and, and arise and go, and here's the message, and he flees in the opposite direction, and he wants to go to Tarshish, the farthest direction away from the Ninevites. And what does God do? God sends a storm upon the boat that he's on, and, and eventually he knows that he needs to be hurled into the sea. And that's how these, the uh, mariners are gonna be uh, rescued from that. And as he's hurled into the sea, a disobedient prophet from Israel who actually deserved death, God in his mercy appoints a great fish that swallows him. And then Jonah, in Jonah chapter two, he's like reflecting on what had happened. He went down into the depths of Sheol, into the depths of the earth that God brought him back up again. And he says in two verse nine, salvation belongs to the Lord. Like Jonah, thrown into the sea, he wasn't like, I'm gonna swim towards that fish over there. I think I got, no, he's like, I'm dead. I'm a dead man. I'm rebellious against the Lord. 
But God in his great mercy rescues him with this great fish, spits him out onto dry land. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's just remember, that's happened in chapter two. Then Jonah changes his tune. He's like, I'll go to Nineveh. And he preaches this message. And amazingly, the Ninevites, this wicked city, these wicked people, known throughout history for their wickedness, famous for it, they repent. They turn to God. And God says, I'm going to relent from the destruction I'm going to get, bring upon you. So that this massive turning. And you think the person who brought the message is like, well, praise the Lord. Look at what God's doing. But that's not the case. And for verse 1, I want us to see Jonah's exceedingly great anger. Jonah had already judged the Ninevites guilty. Justice should be had, but look at his reaction to their repentance, 4 verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And that word for anger is like a fire starting to kindle, a fire starting to grow. Jonah was angry. And just think of how ironic this is, that God who is going to pour out his anger upon the Ninevites because of their repentance, God's anger, the fire, kind of gets pulled back. God's mercy. But then Jonah, in reaction to God's anger not being poured out, being pulled back, his mercy, Jonah gets angry. And so you have to see this contrast that's happening here. Such irony. Kevin Youngblood says this, the reader is again reminded of how out of step Jonah is. The event that calmed God's wrath is the same event that has provoked Jonah's wrath. Often, I don't know about you, as we read the scripture, we, we can kind of like want to put ourselves in the place of different people. We're like, okay, I see maybe David's faith against Goliath. I want to have that type of faith. We see maybe Esther's courage to stand when not knowing what will happen. Like we want that type of courage I want to preach like Peter on the day of Pentecost. You know, we kind of may put ourselves in those shoes, but what's meant to happen here, if we read it correctly, we see Jonah and we just, we back away. We do not want to be like Jonah. Like there are examples, you're like, yeah, yeah, I want to follow in his steps. No, we do not want to follow in the footsteps of Jonah, reacting to God's mercy with anger. And what does he do in his anger in verse 2? And he prayed to the Lord. And the other time that's listed, his prayers here within the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, is when he's in the belly of the fish, when he's receiving God's mercy. That's the last time he prayed. And now he sees other people receiving God's mercy, and he's like praying against them. And ironically enough, too, what does he pray? He starts out with, O Lord. This phrase, oh Lord, we've seen it already in the book of Jonah. And actually, it was the, the mariners, the seamen, in Jonah chapter uh, 1, verse 14, as they call out to the Lord, oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And they're, they're actually crying out to God because there's one life. And they're like, we don't want to be held accountable for this life as we throw him into the sea. They're, oh Lord, hear our prayer. Now, all the Ninevites are being saved. Jonah starts out, oh Lord. Like, do you see the contrast that is happening in this book? Amazing. It's supposed to just hit us between the eyes. And then we have this insight again in verse 2. 
Jonah says this, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? That's why I made, to, made haste to flee to Tarshish. Like that's why I wanted to go in the opposite direction. I was, I was afraid they might listen to you. <laughs> I was afraid you might have mercy. And look, notice what he says about who the Lord is. For I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He's almost saying it with disdain. God, I, I, I knew you were gracious. I, I knew you were merciful. That's why I wanted to go in the opposite way. Unbelievable. So that, that's like Jonah's heart. That's Jonah's character. Friends, I want us to think a little bit about God's character in, the, in what Jonah lists there, describing of who God is. If you want to turn to Exodus, keep a finger in Jonah. Exodus chapter uh, 32 this is where we first start to see this phrase that Jonah used of God. God's gracious and merciful. I'll just describe it for you as you're turning there. Exodus chapter 32, the people have come out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. God has uh, given them manna. This is bread-like substance every day. They've got water from a rock like he's provided for them. Moses is up on the mountain. He's getting the Ten Commandments. And while he's up there, the people are like, what happened to Moses? Where did, where did that guy go? They're like, hey, Aaron, why don't you uh, make some idols for us? Some golden calves. Here's all our gold. And while Moses is up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, they start worshiping these golden calves. This is what's happening in Exodus 32. And God's like, do you hear that? And he's, he's like, I'm going to bring destruction upon these people. But then Moses cries out to the Lord. Exodus 32, verse 12. Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he, being God, bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Moses is crying out, Relent. Verse 14, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken to bringing on his people. So we see that happen. Then in Exodus uh, 34, this is after Moses is back up again, going back up to the mountains with two new tablets. In verse 6, it says this, Exodus 34, verse 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. I just want to show you, this is where like this name, the description of God comes the first time in the Bible. God is gracious and merciful. Abounding in, in steadfast love. And interesting, if you pull that name all throughout the Old Testament, it's over and over and over again. Like, not separated. Sometimes it is, but often it's all together. Used to describe God by the prophets, by the Psalms. Gracious and merciful. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. So I just want us to think about that for a second as we think about God's character. If someone asks you, like, who is God? Who is God? What do you say? 
Well, here, here's an answer for us. I just want you to think about this, meditate upon it. Whenever you see God described in the Bible, you should underline it. You should circle it. We want to know more of who God is. And so when he's described this way, we should pause. We should say, okay, what does this mean about this God of who we want to serve and worship? Back there in Jonah, it says he is gracious and merciful. He's gracious. He extends grace. He gives forgiveness. He's merciful. He's compassionate. You know, as we see in the Old Testament, as God, as he would his heart was to look after those who uh, were in hard places, those who were widows, those who were orphans, those who were foreigners, people who couldn't look after themselves, God had compassion for. He had grace for. Over and over again, it says he's also that he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's slow to anger. We see this again in the Old Testament with Israel as they disobeyed God and they'd worship other gods and they'd run away from him and he'd send prophet after prophet pleading, return to the Lord. Repent, return to the Lord. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. We see the same language in the New Testament. In 2 Peter 3, verses 8 to 9, I'll just read that for you. Speaking of the Lord's second coming, of Jesus Christ's second coming. 2 Peter 3, 8 to 9, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is slow to anger, wanting all, all to turn, all to repent. He's slow to anger. Interesting, though, Jonah was quick to anger. And I don't know about you, I, I can be quick to anger. But God, God is slow to anger, and he's abounding in steadfast love. Abounding means like an abundant amount, an excessive amount of steadfast love. That word steadfast love is the Hebrew word hesed. It is like the, the covenantal love that God has with his people. And we, and we see this, this love described in other parts of the Bible, say in the Psalms, uh, Psalm 108 verse 4, it says, your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. It, there's an abundance of this steadfast love, and it's just this picture like reaches to the heavens. Like you can't contain God's steadfast love. There's so much of it. You can't exhaust it. Abounding in steadfast love. And then also says, in relenting from disaster, God's gracious, merciful. Also, he relents from disaster. We saw that in Exodus 32, when the people rebelled against him, just fresh coming out of Egypt, and God was merciful to them. We saw it to the people of Nineveh in Jonah chapter 3. These wicked people, they saw what they're doing, they repented, and God relented from his disaster. Friends, that's why I, I have hope for Canada, that if we would seek the Lord, God relents from disaster. And we deserve it. Our sins are piling one on top of another in this nation. But if we could, as his people, cry out to the Lord, Lord, forgive us. Lord, change us. Lord, change our nation. That is our hope. And we see, though, that God can relent from disaster. And friends, I just want to remind you of this as well, of God's great mercy. Of Ezekiel 18, 
Verse 23, Ezekiel the prophet writes this, the Lord says this through Ezekiel, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his ways and live? That's God's heart. That the wicked would turn and find mercy. And of course we know that's through Jesus Christ and the work he did on the cross. God wants to relent from disaster, from the judgment that is due each one of us. And everyone who would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ actually receive God's mercy and God's kindness. So I want us to take to heart what Jonah said, but also there's a bit of a warning here from Jonah. If you think Jonah knew truths about God, like in, in Jonah 1, chapter 9, when he's with all the sailors, they're like, yeah, yeah, call upon your God. And what country are you from? What people are you from? In 1, verse 9, he says, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Like all these true theological truths. Oh, yes, God did make the heaven and the land, everything in it. Jonah didn't fear the Lord. Jonah, you say these things about God. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. He speaks these truths of God, but he's angry when he sees them acted out. That's a, that should be a great warning to us that we can like know so much truth, but yet have it not affect our hearts. God have mercy on us if we just keep piling high, knowledge upon knowledge, but it never actually touches our hearts, touches our feet, changes our lives. And one of the ways we can do to make sure it doesn't happen is by meeting the Lord in prayer, by actually praying to God, actually meeting with him before the throne of God. You can't come with pride. You can't come with your own ways. Like you lay it down, Lord, your will be done, not my own. But I just think, wow, God's a prophet from Israel saying these truths about God, not living them. God, have mercy on me. Lord, keep me from that. Keep us from that. So after Jonah proclaims that, we see his anger continued on. In verse 3, Jonah says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Like crazy, Jonah's will wasn't being accomplished, and so he didn't want to live any longer in a place where Jonah's will was not being done. It's interesting how just our, our sinful, broken minds can cloud us to not see God's goodness. That's what was, was happening to Jonah. Jonah was almost saying to God, hey, hey take, take me out, take me out, or, or take Nineveh. Take me or take them. He thought he could like maybe lay that card down. He's like, okay, I see your mercy, Lord, but take my life instead then almost hoping that God would change his mind there. Nineveh or me? And then verse four, there's this question from the Lord, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? Donald Wiseman says this, ironically, having condemned God for not being angry, Jonah is now challenged concerning his own anger. Like quite a searching question, I don't know if any of you have ever, when you've lost your temp temper, had someone say, is that glorifying to God? I, I know I've had that mentioned to me before and it stops you in your tracks. You're like, that's not fair. <laughs> you, you shouldn't say that right now. But what a, what a question to Jonah. Do you, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? We don't have a response from him, but what we do have really contrasted is God's heart and Jonah's heart, like so clearly. 
So continuing on, verses 5 to 11, I want us just to see this, this plant versus people. It's a plant or it's the people. We'll see. So carrying on there in verse 5, we see Jonah waiting for judgment. Jonah went out of the city and sat down to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So he went to the east of the city. It seemingly proximity started on the west, so he made his way through. He shared his message, so he went through the whole city. That's why he's in that direction. And he goes and he makes this booth, like a tent-like structure from whatever uh, would have been on the ground, just something to kind of sit under, some temporary structure. But he's going there, sitting and waiting, hoping. Hoping for what? Hoping for justice in Jonah's eyes. Hoping for destruction. And he sees God's hands of mercy, but then he leaves and he goes and he sets up shop, hoping he'll see God's hand of wrath come down. Unbelievable. Well, we get, so Jonah set up a little shade tent. We get up the, the past number of weeks, the heat that we experienced I love to go out walking and try to get exercise, often sitting at a desk, so I always force my kids to go for walks. And uh, just last week when it was like plus 30 outside, guys, we're going for a walk. It's like probably inhuman, but like, so we're going out for a walk outside, and I noticed nobody else was in the sun. Everyone else I saw in their yards, they were all hidden in the shade. Because the temperature drops like so many degrees, right, when you're in the shade. We're the only ones in the sun. I, I just noticed that. So I get Jonah, he's like, he wanted to get a tent to cover himself, to give himself some shade. When the sun's beating down on you, it's like no other. You probably shouldn't go for walks in it. I'm, I'm learning. But, uh, but we get, so we get why Jonah set that up. But again, Jonah decided who should get mercy himself. Jonah also decided who should get justice, the Ninevites. He was, Jonah was bringing the judgment. And we see in verses 6 to 8, Jonah just get exposed. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. The Lord God appointed a plant. If you see that word, if you have a pen, underline it. Especially in the Old Testament, prophets, you see words repeated, you want to underline it. God appointed the, the great fish in 117. Now God appointed a plant to grow. And if you're like, what, can he do that? Yeah, God spoke the world into existence. He can like appoint a plant to grow in a day. God is in charge of this situation. Everything that is unfolding in Jonah shows like he's sovereign, he's in control. He decides when mercy happens. He decides when justice happens. So this plant grows. And if you're like, hey, what type of plant I don't know. <laughs> Kevin Youngblood said this, the most popular suggestions are vine, gourd, or castor oil plant. The author, however, is less interested in botanical precision than he is in the plant's function and symbolism. So there's like a lot of ink spilled on like what type of plant it could be. It doesn't really matter, I think, primarily to the story. God brought this plant to bring shade upon his head. His booth wasn't cutting it. He maybe didn't have something over top of his head. It wasn't covering him all the way. So God made a way for him to have shade. God in his kindness, God in his mercy. Look, how does Jonah react? So Jonah was exceedingly glad 
He was exceedingly glad because of the plant. He was, he was pumped. He was excited. That's another word that's repeated a number of times within this book. We see first, we see the, the men on the ship. In verse 116, the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Where Jonah said he feared the Lord and he didn't, the men feared the Lord exceedingly. We see it also said of uh, the city of Nineveh in 3.3. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. We see this word repeated over and over again. I don't know if you remember in 4 verse 1 though, right? When the Ninevites didn't receive justice, they received mercy. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And now this little plant grows, and he gets shade over his head, and he is exceedingly glad. Do you see the contrast that's being made? The one person receiving mercy, he's like, yes, it's about me. But when the whole group doesn't receive mercy, he's exceedingly angry. We're meant to see this contrast. It's meant to be shocking. But in the plant, we see God's deliverance, his mercy. And Jonah, Jonah's all for it. At this point, Jonah's like, yes, I'm all for God's mercy. In verse 7, continuing, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. God appointed a worm. Again, God's still in control of this situation. The plant's here one day, gone the next. We see here God's destruction. When he brought deliverance the day before, Jonah was overjoyed. And now destruction to the plant. Again, think about the destruction, the justice that Jonah wanted to the Ninevites, not the mercy. But then he again receives the mercy of God from the plant, but then it's destroyed. Something that now affects him, that he, he wanted to happen to everyone, and now it happens to him. And what is his reaction to it? In verse 8, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was fade. Again, God appointed, appointed, appointed. Do you see this over and over again? God's in control. He's moving about his plans and purposes. God appointed a scorching east wind. God is in charge of the weather, right? Jonah 1, 4 says the Lord hurled a wind upon the sea. Do, do we know that? Is that still true today? God's in charge of the weather? We should take that to heart. He's still in charge of the weather today. We're not. And he started getting too hot, this east wind that beat down upon his head. I don't know if we've all experienced just maybe you're out in the sun, it's directly upon you. You got nowhere to escape. You get lightheaded pretty quick. So Jonah was experiencing that, you know, particularly in the, in the place that he was, Nineveh, like a modern-day Turkey, so even a hotter climate, and the heat's just beating down upon him. And then what does he do? And he, then he asked that he might die, and he said, it's better for me to die than to live. Again, he's asking for death. He's mourning the loss of the plant that he never worked for nor toiled for. It's interesting, some commentators say, hey, there's this comparison with Elijah. We're going to be in Elijah here uh, for the summer. Elijah, after he has this amazing victory on Mount Carmel, 
And then he's like, he's threatened by King Ahab or, or Queen Jezebel, and he runs and he flees, and he says he wants to die. Just like Jonah says he wants to die. But you have very different circumstances where Elijah, Elijah feels all alone calling Israel to repent. But Jonah has actually all the people, Nineveh repented, and he alone is angry. Like a huge contrast. But Jonah, in reaction, he's like, I want to die. Again, God asks him this question. Notice the, the lesson of the plant. Remember I said a plant versus people. Verse nine, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do, ang- I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Like the plant was a way to expose Jonah's heart, his attitude. We have things like that in our lives, little things that will expose big things. It can be as simple as like a toothpaste lid <laughs> or clothes on the floor or an empty gas tank or whatever, whatever it is, that some little thing that can, I see everyone snickering and looking at each other, right? Whatever it is, the little thing that can like set you off. That's what this little thing was used. It was used to expose Jonah's heart. God uses Little things in our lives to expose our hearts too. Little things that we're like, this is the most important thing and we forget, we don't see anything. We don't see God's plan anymore. Like this is it right now. And sometimes God uses those little things to expose our heart. Just ask yourself, where is God using little things right now in this week, in this moment to expose your heart? A few weeks ago, even as we're going through Jonah, it was a Sunday afternoon. It might have been Jonah one or two, I forget. And I was sitting on the couch and I was watching a PGA championship. And it's, I'm not a good golfer. And so this, this golfer had got himself in a precarious situation. It was a really bad lie in a sand trap. I appreciate when the pros do bad. It encourages me, actually. And so I'm like, oh, how is he going to get out of this situation? Like, he is not in a good place. And I'm like, excited, watching. And there's a, there's a knock at the door. And it was, uh, it was the other uh, local political party, <laughs> right? Want, wanting to talk and wanting my information and wanting to ask questions. And selfishly, though, I just wanted my comfort. And I was actually rude. And I say this as a confession. I'm like, I just want to see what's going to happen to this guy. And they're like, hey, do you have any questions? Do you want to talk about anything? I'm like, no, 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 don't worry about it. And kind of close the door. And God rebuked, I've been rebuked so many times for that. I was like, no, I want my comfort. This is the most important thing. God's like, actually, I want you to talk to them about me. And I had an opportunity, and I missed it. But God used that little thing to expose my heart. And and I've I've asked forgiveness a number of times. I'm just bringing that to you as as an example. What are the little things? What are the things God's exposing in your heart from this book? So God used the plant to expose Jonah, verses 10 and 11. The Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who, did not, who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Again, if you notice those words repeated, it's pity. 
You pity the plant? Should I not pity Nineveh? Like that's what's meant to catch us. And even it says in talking about the people in Nineveh and also much cattle. Just want to address that. Uh, One commentator notes this. Yahweh thought even of the animals who would suffer in such destruction. Jonah thought only of himself. Interesting what the Bible just says, just a few verses about animals. Proverbs 12.10 says, Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. We even have in Matthew 10, 29 to 31, Jesus speaking, he says this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore you are more valuable than many sparrows, using the, the least to the greatest. If God cares about the sparrows, how much more does he care about you? But God cares about the sparrows. He does care about the animals. He just doesn't want to see them destroyed. There's much cattle there. But what does it say? Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? The fourth time this is, that phrase is repeated in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. Often, I don't know about you, every time I've read that, I always thought it meant infants. 120,000 don't know their left, right hand from their left. But actually, I think in reading and studying, it's more people who don't, don't have a moral compass. They didn't have Moses, the law, and the prophets. And so there's all these people there who really, they didn't know, spiritually speaking, their, their right hand from their left. And God cares that they wouldn't just perish into eternity. God cares for them. God pitied Nineveh, the enemies of Israel. Israel, God's chosen people. That's why it's so shocking for Jonah. You want me to go to Nineveh? And then in speaking to Nineveh, you're going to forgive Nineveh? He just couldn't handle it. But what is it showing us? No one is outside of God's mercy. For those who would repent, those who would turn from their sins. God pitied Nineveh. There's 120,000 souls there. Don't you care about those eternal souls? It was no small thing to overthrow it, to destroy it. And just think, like, who else does God pity? Who else does God want to extend mercy to? But maybe sometimes I can be like Jonah. Instead, I'm like, no, I want to see judgment. I don't want to see mercy. So who else can we miss to extend mercy to? And I just, just think maybe this is my list. Think of your own list. It could be uh, those, those people in Ottawa. Does God, does God want us to extend mercy to them? Or do we want to say, no, no, Lord, it's justice. The LGBTQ2 plus community, does God want to extend mercy in their confusion? They're still souls. They're still made in the image and likeness of God. Climate change activists, People who are woke and pushing their agenda, like the list could go on and on. But you're like, but often I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, Lord, justice. But I see this passage in Jonah, he pitied the Ninevites. Often I'm like, I'm pitying the plant. So the question as we kind of close this book is who are we more like? Jonah 
or God? In this book, God who is gracious and merciful and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster, or more like Jonah, God, God, you can't save those people. Just bring judgment. I don't, as I read this book, as I'm meditating upon it, I'm like, man, I'm more like Jonah. If, if you land there with me, if you see yourself more like Jonah, let me remind you of this, this passage in Romans. In Romans 5.8, Apostle Paul writes this, God shows his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we may be like Jonah in the sense like, hey, we want justice. God wants mercy. But we've got to remember ourselves, each one of us, Jesus Christ died for us while we were still sinners. So even in that book, like where we find ourselves, we're actually more like the Ninevites. We're actually more like the ones who are rebellious against God and outside of his grace and his mercy, we would be uh, guilty of the most wicked types of sin. And yet God, in his mercy, while we are still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. How amazing is that? If we land, we're like justice, justice. They should get what is coming to them. If we are honest, honest knowing ourselves, knowing our hearts, knowing our thoughts, like we deserve God's justice, but we didn't get it. Jesus did hanging on the cross. He took God's anger, he took God's wrath, he took the punishment that we deserve upon himself, and we get to be forgiven. Because of him taking God's justice, God's anger, we receive God's mercy, God's kindness, all of us. I love it. And what what can we do in response to this? I pray that God would make our hearts more like his. It says in Romans 5, 5, Those in the Lord, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. My prayer continued like, Lord, change my hearts. Change my heart, Lord. Make me more loving. Make me more compassionate. I want to be, I want to be slow to anger. I, I can't do that. You've got to do that in me. I pray he would do that in each one of us. The justice versus mercy, it's like, no, that, that's not true. It's not justice versus mercy. It's, it's God's hand is, is for mercy. It's a timing thing. But those who would refuse God's mercy will receive God's justice. But we live in the, t- in the time, if you're here with us this morning, it's God's mercy being held up. And if you don't know the Lord, it's through faith in Jesus Christ. Through surrendering your life to God, you receive God's mercy. It's available to all. But as a timing thing, if you refuse it, there'll be a time it'll be, it'll be God's justice. Just think of the last word in Jonah. I'll just finish with this. Jonah 4, verse 11. Should I not pity Nineveh? The last word isn't Jonah's, it's God's. Shouldn't I pity this wicked nation? Shouldn't have mercy on them. 
It's one of mercy. The last word is God's, and it speaks of mercy. God's exceedingly great mercy. Do you see it? Do you know it? Do you know this God? I pray you do. If you bow with me as we close this time in prayer. Oh Lord, thank you for your kindness and your mercy. Lord, I know you've exposed in my heart my attitude so much uh, through going through this book. I pray you'd continue to work in our hearts and our lives. Lord, make us more like Jesus, as only you can. Forgive us, Lord, uh, sometimes just being so uh, stuck on knowing all the words, Lord, impact our hearts with them. Change our lives, Lord. May we be kind, compassionate, and merciful as you are. Oh, Lord, I pray we would see more clearly your great mercy and that would change us. Oh, Lord, thank you for this book. Continue to work in us uh, as you see fit. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.